Our first scripture reading today is from Psalm 30, verses 1 to 5 and 11 to 12. Let's listen to what we can all learn. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 3 and 9 to 14. Listen now for a word from God. Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Armenians on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went, came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought for sure he would come out and stand and call on the name of his Lord and God and wave his hands over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Pharpa, the rivers of Damascus, far better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went in a rage. But his servant approached him and said, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when he, all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of the Lord. After those words from Gary and from Graham, please join me in prayer. May the meditations of our hearts this morning on your word, O God, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
This text this morning reminds me uh, that my baptism wish for James, whom we just celebrated, uh, my baptism prayer and yours too, I know, is that as he launches into a life of being surrounded by the love of God and we hope this developing sense as we all live uh, our lives of faith, of trusting in God more than anything else, that James will grow uh, to the point where he won't make healing so hard on himself, like most of us do most of the time, like Naaman does in this story today. Here's what I mean. My family is from the state of Washington, as many of you know. There's this pretty big river in Washington. It's called the Columbia River. It is enormous. Um, it is majestic. Uh, even after it was dammed up in the middle of the 20th century, it still flows incredibly fast, though not with as many rapids as it used to have. It, it powers a good part of the western seaboard uh, through the, uh, the dam. and. It was in my mind, if you look at the Columbia Gorge, as I heard from my father that we were going to be moving to New Mexico when I was eight years old, my military dad getting transferred once again, and he told me about the Rio Grande. Now, I don't really speak Spanish, but I think that means big river, right? I was expecting a Grande Rio. And when I got to uh, New Mexico at eight years old, my response was, is that it? It was just this little trickle. It's probably even smaller today in the part where I was looking. And I felt a lot like Naaman, who, after he was told, he got a message to go and wash himself in the Jordan River seven times in order for him to be healed, I felt kind of let down. Naaman as well could have gone down and jumped in this little Jordan River, but instead he turns away in a rage, the text says, and says, aren't the Abana and the, Far and the Farpar, the rivers of Aram, or what we today call Syria in my home country, aren't those rivers far more grand and majestic and big with actual water? Wouldn't I want to wash myself in those rivers to be healed? This is already humiliating enough, what I'm going through. Remember, this grown man had heard from a young servant girl that all he had to do was listen to a word from the prophet who was in Samaria, which is the northern kingdom of Israel during this time, Judah being the southern kingdom, that Naaman could find a cure for his lifelong illness if he just first listened to this captive servant girl from the land of Israel who suggested that even though he couldn't find a cure, maybe he would have some hope by listening to this prophet from God, the God of Israel. And this for Naaman is almost too much to bear in this text. It's just too embarrassing. It's just too easy. His problems are much more complicated than that. Remember, Naaman in this story, as Graham read, is a great man, an Ish Gadol. He is a great general, and he has just defeated the forces of the king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, at the Battle of Ramoth Gilead in 1 Kings. I'm sure you all know of it. 
Naaman has proven himself to be a great man, a great general, a great military mind. He is accomplished. He is smart. He is courageous. But he has a problem. He has this affliction, this skin disease, Hansen's disease, what we call leprosy. And he hasn't been able to find a dermatologist or a pill or a doctor or a spa in spite of all of his resources, even the most expensive resources that can help him. So this commander of the army, this General Schwarzkopf of his time, in high favor with his master, the king of Aram, who has just won this decisive military victory. He's riding pretty high, but he has this thorn in his side, so to speak. It is the opposite of greatness, weakness, vulnerability. All of us have some kind of burden like that, whether it is a regret we have or some circumstance in life that has made life difficult, even if we try to hide it or keep it a secret. There are some consequences of mistakes that we have made or we are burdened secretly, privately maybe, by some sadness or remorse, or maybe it's a pattern of behavior that sort of sucks away the life force within us, but we cannot stop. And we want so badly to be rid of this burden. We can almost taste it. We don't want to carry it around anymore. It is the human condition. All of us go through this. Yet we can't get rid of that which afflicts us most deeply. We can't let go of the script that we've written for ourselves. We can't just trust that God will find a way. We know what should happen. We know how we want to be healed. And we can only see that one way out, the one that we envision, even though it never works. This today is a wonderful story, the story in 2 Kings 5. It's a story centered around the prophet Elisha, who is the successor to the prophet Elijah. These great prophets of the emerging God of Israel in this ancient time in the ancient Near East when all of these gods competed for sort of dominance and favor, all of a sudden out of this little sliver of land on the eastern end of the Mediterranean is this god with no name and no image, sort of a strange god who is everywhere and yet nowhere to be seen all at the same time. And this servant girl, captive in Aram, says to the wife of Naaman, the great general, you know, there's a prophet of my religion over in Samaria, in the northern land of Israel, and I think that maybe he can heal your husband, my master, Naaman. And so Naaman goes and tells the king of Aram, and Aram gets, the king of Aram gets excited, and he sends a letter along with 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 new suits, 10 new garments, to the recently defeated and subordinate king of Israel and says, I'm sending you my favorite Na general, Naaman, the one who just defeated you, by the way, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And in the text part that we didn't read this morning, the king of Israel freaks out. He has no idea how to cure anybody of anything. He's not having a good month anyway. He is in despair. He rips his clothes and pulls his hair and says, how am I supposed to heal this guy? And what's going to happen if I don't? This king of Aram is just trying to 
annoy me and, and persecute me even more. Again, this is, all takes place in the backdrop of this period of time when there's this emergence slowly of this God of Israel with no image and no name, a God we can't simply use to get our way when we want to have a good harvest or healthy children. We want to have victory in war. We don't just pop the God up on the mantle and sort of offer a few sacrifices and then get what we want. This God is sovereign and all-powerful and at the same time all-loving, all-present. And this God has a purpose which includes us rather than simply live that our purposes beck and call. Elisha hears that the king, his king in Israel is in despair because he has all this pressure on him to heal this foreign powerful general of leprosy. And Elisha says, I can do it. And so Naaman is sent from the king of Israel over to this prophet Elisha. And Naaman shows up with this entourage of chariots and horses and soldiers all under his great command and authority. And Elisha the prophet doesn't even show up for this guy. He just leaves a note. Kind of like when you show up at an Airbnb, you know, just uh, keys over here, just make sure you water, you know, water the plants and feed the dog. See you later. And the note by the messenger from the prophet Elisha says to the great king, great general Naaman, just go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman is insulted and enraged beyond belief. And he says, I thought that for me, there'd be a lot more pomp and circumstance, a lot more drama, a lot more difficulty in this healing. After all, I haven't been able to do it. He does what we all do. He imagines and expects and prepares for something complicated and dramatic, something befitting of his stature. And like so many of us, Naaman's self-worth is linked to outside affirmation. I don't know if you've ever had surgery or gone to the doctor for something very serious. I have a little trouble when I pour out my heart and explain all the things that are wrong with me and are tormenting me, and the doctor goes, yeah, I've seen that before. I'm like, no, 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 this is me. I'm suffering. Don't you want to hear my story? No, fine, good, just you know, show up on Tuesday, be here early, I'll take care of you. I, I have to get over feeling a little kind of offended that I'm not special to the doctor. The doctor sees, and then I finally realize, oh, that's right, this doctor sees this all the time, and then I kind of relax into the comfort of her or his skills and gifts as a physician. But it takes a little while to let go of me being the center of my universe. In this story, just like the young little girl, the servant girl, says to Naaman, now another small voice, now the voice of Naaman's own servants speak, and they say, Father, if this prophet had asked you to do something difficult, like Hercules, something that took courage and intelligence and daring do to save yourself, to heal yourself, you would have done it. How much easier thou just to do what the prophet says and go down, go down to the river and dip yourself in there seven times. Just go down and trust that God has the answer, and even if you don't. And that's exactly what Naaman does. He humbles himself finally, submits himself to this greater purpose, 
and finds that his health, his identity, his vitality and vibrancy and fulfillment is inextricably linked with God's purpose in life, God's healing powers and God's love, and that Naaman doesn't have to do it on his own. That's what we wish for James, to be able to see his self-worth as completely connected to the power of love which gave him life in the first place, that he doesn't have to do it alone, that that love which we can feel in his wonderful family and in his church family now will always remind him and inspire him to stay connected to its source, the God who is sometimes hard to see but is always there in his heart. I have that same wish for all of you, for all of us this morning, that we find our true value in life and worth from God, from simply the fact that we are children of God, born into this universe, onto this planet, not from all the drama and the outside affirmation and attention that we are taught to seek and strive for, covet, but it's never enough. It's never enough. We always have to continually be reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed when the answer's been with us the whole time. We're simply loved. We are precious just as we are not even because we are good or bad, but simply because we are loved. And because we are loved, we can live truly good and fulfilling lives. May it be so, not just for James, but for all of us from this moment forward. Amen.